Hey, good morning, everybody. Greetings from downtown. They're having a party down there, and they send their greetings to you guys, and you'll sit so far back. You're gonna get, does Joel call on you guys? Like, does the sound system work if I just come on up here? Okay, we're just going to preach to you today. Hi. No, that, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Sorry, because I would never do that to you, but I would do it to you. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4, and I'll try to do it for all of us, all right? Because um, we're going through, uh, with you guys, uh, the downtown community is also going through the book of Acts. And we are trying to glean some wisdom here. This is a really unique season in the life of the church. Uh, this is really a, a book of the Bible that's talking about God being on mission and God kind of moving his kingdom forward. And this is just kind of an explosion uh, start of the kingdom of God. This happened during the Passover. And if you're not familiar with Passover, go Google that. This afternoon, and you can read all about it because we don't have time to study it today. But um, all these people had gathered in Jerusalem to worship the Passover, and what they hadn't planned on is this being the exact Passover that the the true Passover Lamb was actually going to come and give his life as a ransom for many, and then uh, stay in the grave for three days, then rise again and bring newness to life to all that would believe in him. They didn't they didn't know that this was going to be the Passover that thousands were going to come to know. Uh, the reality of what the Old Testament talked about in shadows about the Messiah, and now they're seeing with their own eyes the reality of that. They didn't know this was going to be the Passover, that the Holy Spirit was going to explode with miraculous gifts and healings and speaking of tongues. And so, man, this was going on. And because it was going on, people were staying a lot longer in Jerusalem than they had planned on. Uh, For example... Have you ever saved up and gone on that just exquisite vacation to Florida or Hawaii or maybe Vegas? And you get there and it's just so good, you decide you're going to stay an extra month? <laughs> Y'all do that? Why don't you do that? All right. Joel got y'all really warmed up this morning, didn't he? <clears throat> wow. Wound pretty tight. <laughs> you know? We don't do it because a lot of us can't afford it, right? A lot of us have jobs and responsibilities. You know, a lot of us are farmers. We have to get back and take in the crop. Maybe not, but you get the idea. All right. Chapter 4. Listen to what's going on. Verse 32. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So why are we studying this today? I mean, what is important here for us to glean from? Well, first of all, let me just say this, is that there's a reason why we are going through every book of the Bible as we teach through it. There's a reason why we gather together on Sunday morning, because we believe something here at Midtown. We believe that 
what you believe about yourself and what you believe about life and what you believe about God impacts every decision you make in your life. As a matter of fact, we go so far as to say every decision that you make in your life is a reflection of what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, and what you believe about life. So when we come together as a community, we believe that we're coming together as a community of people that constantly are challenging the things that we say we believe about ourselves, about life, and about God. Because if there are things that we believe that are not true, we want to tear those things down, and we want to build up the truth so the decisions in the life that we're living is a reflection of what is real. With me? You know, if you were here a month or so ago, I had a chance to speak about mercy And we went to Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul says something really radical there in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, if you are someone who steals, stop stealing. Pretty radical concept, isn't it? Then he goes a step further and he says, get a job. And when you get a job, you need to take the money you get from that job, and you need to actually use that money to help those in need. So don't just stop stealing from people that work hard and taking what they earn. Now you go earn and take what you earn and give to those in need. Stop being a taker and start being a giver. In other words, Paul is saying you need to have a radical realignment of what you believe about yourself, about life, and about God. And that's always going to produce the fruit of actions in your life. When I was in seminary... uh, You know, Renee and I were poor seminary students. I mean, literally, we had nothing. And so we lived in this neighborhood around the seminary called the Queens. I don't know what that brings to your mind, but this was a bad neighborhood. This is where bad people lived, or people preparing for the ministry. You know, they're (laughs) kind of one and the same, I think. So a few houses down, the seminary owned a bunch of these glorious estates in the Queens, which really were three-bedroom brick blocks, you know. And each of these bedrooms had window air conditioning units uh, because you can't live in Mississippi without air conditioning in the summertime. Any of you been to Mississippi? Bless you. All right. Um, it is a foreign land. So one of our buddies who happened to be from another country that was here studying in seminary was studying late one night in his room at his desk with his window unit going. And he described it. He said, my window unit began to shake. And he said, oh, no, I thought that it was about to break. But then it started to move side to side. And I said, oh, no. And then I thought my window unit's coming alive. And then it began to move. And it moved, didn't move in, it moved out. And then it just was gone. And this guy poked it in his head and said, was yours, now mine, and ran. He stole his air conditioner while he was there. It really happened. I'm not kidding you. Okay, so let's call air conditioner thief, let's call him Joe. Are there any Joes here? That's okay, because all of you are thieves. No, we can relate to Joe the thief. Imagine for a moment that Joe's walking across the yard or running. I don't know how you run with a window unit, but let's assume that he's a monster athlete, and he's running across the yard with the air conditioning unit, and he stops for a moment, and he goes, hmm... Wait a minute. I shouldn't be stealing this from this guy. He is, he is a servant of the Lord. 
He is preparing to go into ministry to call many to salvation. I should go not only return this window unit, but I should go get a job. And I'm going to pay for the rest of his seminary experience. So imagine Joe the thief, the air conditioner thief, comes back and sticks it back in, knocks on the door and says, I am so sorry for what I did. Matter of fact, I'm so sorry that from now on I'm going to cover every one of your expenses. Walmart's hiring and I'm going to work extra shifts to cover all your expenses. Now, we if that happened, would we not say that is truly miraculous? Yes? Okay, that is true. All right. It would be. But even what is equally miraculous is this morning when we come to God's Word and we say to God, God, there, I want you to examine every area in my life. Where am I walking across the yard in my life with an air conditioning unit? And I need you to stop me and say, no, there's a new system at play here. And you need to align your life to that. So, let's go to Acts chapter 4, and let's ask ourselves, what is Acts chapter 4 saying to us, Joe the thieves? Because John Calvin said, you know, that our hearts are like idle factories. All of us are creating things in our heart that are contrary to the Word of God, that are constantly challenging truth. How do we take our hearts now and bring them to the Lord? What is it teaching us? Well, what did they do? They sold everything they had and shared with everybody in need. So what it's clearly stating is that we need to end the service so that you can go home and sell everything you have. Joel and I will wait here for you to return with the proceeds of that, and then we'll figure out where it goes. And uh, then all of you can move here into the church, all right? Well, some people believe that's what it says, you know? How do we know that's not what it's saying? Well, we do know that if we take passages like this and we hold it up with the rest of Scripture, that when we're not, unc- we're not clear about a truth, we test it by the truths that we are clear about in Scripture. And it's clearly true throughout Scripture that God approves us owning property. It's very clear throughout all the Old Testament and the New Testament that there are very godly people that are wealthy and they have possessions. And so the idea of selling everything that you have as a fruit or the expression of godliness may not necessarily be true. We even see in Acts chapter 12 that people still own property. So we see that even the early believers didn't sell everything. And then when you look at the churches that we have epistles to, we don't see a pattern of those churches moving into communal living. You don't see all the churches, uh, you know, throughout that region living on farms and growing oranges and all having children with the same name. (laughs) So this is descriptive of a very unique time in the life of the church. But there's also something prescriptive that we can get from this. First of all, their actions. They sold everything. And Barnabas, a whole lot or a whole land plot. And let's ask, why did they do that? I mean, what would it take for you to leave this service today and say, you know what, I need to sell my house and give the money to the movement of the kingdom of God. I mean, literally, what what would have to transpire in the next 15 minutes for you to come to that conclusion? Has anybody got any answers? I'm not real sure, but you know... It would have to be something huge, wouldn't it? Something's going on. Why did they do this? Well, let's look at verse 32. 
All the people were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. So we see that their actions were a reaction to what was taking place in their heart. They were one heart and they were one mind. Why were they one heart and one mind? Let's ask another why question. What was going on? Their hearts were a reflection of something even greater that was going on. Look at verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. You see, what's happening is God showed up. And when God showed up, he poured his grace on this community of people. And when he poured his grace on them, their treasure system completely changed its value system. And because what they valued now was radically changed, now they valued the movement of the kingdom of God, they valued the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it impacted their hearts and knit them together. They were knit together not because they were similar, They were knit together because they had a similar Lord. And then that heart change reflected itself in an action change and how they lived. So see, this is really cool because this is something that we can get from this scripture. The scripture teaches us that the gospel, kingdom, economy, and paradigm is this. Treasure always impacts heart. Heart always impacts action. So let's, let's take it backwards. Everything you do in life is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. True or false? Everything that's going on in your heart is a reaction to what you have decided that you're going to treasure in your life. Think about it. We live in a world that constantly challenges that. Because the world that I live in constantly challenges the notion that you are what you do. You know, if you do something spectacular, then you are spectacular. I mean, like if you're a rock star and you just got the songs going and people are cheering, you know, and you know, throwing themselves at you. I mean, that's just, that's over the top spectacular. Or if you're a fabulous athlete and you can do something that nobody else can do, I mean, that's so spectacular. And then we start saying, well, you are spectacular. And so a lot of times, even in our own lives, we're seeking success or we're seeking to do something or achieve something or build something or manufacture something so that we can step back and go, oh, I am something, you know? I mean, it doesn't take much to scratch on that to find it, you know? I mean, talk to a parent. How are they impacted by the behavior of their children? (laughs) If you're not a parent here, trust me, you have impacted your parents. By the way, did you call your mother today? Call your mama. When I was in South Florida, it was funny. uh, We knew some of the guys that played hockey for the Panthers. And uh, when I was down there, it was the year that they were competing for that thing. The Stanley Cup. I was about to say the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, they were in the World Series. And, you know, they, their pitcher had a hurt arm. And so, but anyway, we knew some of the guys. Although it probably would have meant more to Chad than it did to us, all right? Because we weren't as, as much in awe because we didn't have a, a hockey value system like Chad would have had. So when we walked into the locker room of the Panthers, we go... Wow, it stinks in here. 
when <clears throat> Jasmine was going like, the Holy Grail, you know. So we're with this, these guys that play for the Panthers, and we're talking to them, and uh, they, they're getting dressed, and they said, hey, let's all go grab some dinner. Let's go out to my car and we'll grab some dinner. And so the players uh, down in Miami, they have a, a, like a walled-in parking lot for the players. So people can't get to their cars, I guess. And then there's a walkway from the back of the stadium to the parking lot. And they have these barriers in place so that you can't get to the players. But when you come out of the stadium, and since this was their season of glory, there were hundreds of people that were lined up on the barriers trying to get autographs. You know, hey, I don't, I don't, I would say some of their names. I don't even know their names. Wayne Gretzky. I don't think he played with the Panthers, did he? All right, sorry. You know, who's another great player? Joe. Okay. Anyway. All right. Sorry, man. That whole illustration's falling apart. It's unraveling before your very eyes. All that to say is when we were walking behind these two guys and they're signing autographs, somebody looked at me and said, "Hey." Are you, are you somebody? <laughs> Has anybody ever asked you that question? Like, that is an intimidating question to answer. Well, yeah, I'm somebody. Like, yeah. I got kids. They think I'm good. It's funny because in that world, I was a nobody. But it's easy for us to build kingdoms in which we declare and stake our flag and say, in this place, I'm going to be somebody. Whether it's your work or whether it's your career or whatever it is, that you decide this is where I'm going to make it. And we try to compensate sometimes because we feel like there's so many areas in our lives where we don't think that we make it. That we are a nobody. And that we do stink in that area. Maybe we think we're not pretty enough. Or maybe we think we're not thin enough. Or maybe we're not big enough. Or our hair's not long enough or short enough. Our breath doesn't smell the way it should. Okay, that's probably true. But a lot of us sometimes feel like that we've been given the short end of the stick and I can't mount up to something. Well, see, Christ in this economy comes in and says, no, it's not what you do that makes you who you are. Treasure, heart, action. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at this before we come to the table. Because this shines a little bit more light on the whole idea of treasure, heart, action. Matthew chapter 6, and this is verse 19. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that fascinating? That he doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. He's saying what you choose to treasure, your heart is going to go to that place. In other words, the things that you put in front of your heart and you say to your heart, treasure that, your heart's going to go, okay, okay. And it's going to run to it. That your heart is always going to obey what you put in front of it as a treasure. Does that seem odd to you? That God would say, this is how you work. Let's keep reading. The eyes is the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body would be full of light. 
But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now before we go on and talk about that just for a minute, what's up with this eye illustration in there? Are there ever parts of scripture that you read and you go, eh, don't know what that means. I just keep on going. You know, I never get anything out of scripture. I never understand what it's talking about. It's talking about eyes or something dark, light. What is it saying? I don't know. Let's go eat pizza. You know? Well, let's stop for a moment because there is a treasure in this. Because Jesus is saying something very powerful for us. Listen to how John MacArthur talks about it. The heart is the eye of the soul, through which the illumination of every spiritual experience shines. It's through our heart that God's truth, His love, His peace, and every other spiritual blessing comes to us. When our hearts, our spiritual eyes, are clear, then our whole body will be full of light. What he's saying here is if you put sour treasures in front of your heart and your heart runs to them and says, this is where I'm going to camp out and these are dark treasures, then the heart, which is now the eye of your soul, which illuminates for you all of God's truth, just like Joe, the air conditioner thief, you know, his heart is dark because he put false treasures in front of his heart so the eye of his own soul now cannot see the light that needs to shine through because it's dark. If the heart is bad, then how bad is the rest of it going to be? J.C. Ryle points out that when Scripture talks about clear here, it's, it's really similar to the word singular in Scripture in the New Testament Greek. And J.C. Ryle would say, Singleness of purpose is one great secret of spiritual prosperity. Now he's not saying there... You know, let's be singular of purpose like the coach before the football game. You know, I know all you guys have broken legs, but let's take the field. You know, you can crawl out there and do it. You know, like, I don't know if any of you grew up in churches where the pastor whips your back and says, try harder, volunteer more, give more, you know. And you're just constantly getting on the treadmill of trying to accomplish more and more. And so you have this filter up in your own eye of your soul that when you hear singular of purpose, you go, I'm already worn out. How can I do that? That's not what J.C. Ryle is saying here. What he's saying here is not to get up and do more. It's to stop and to be still and open your eyes and see what is real. Just open your rest in the light of what is true. That the kingdom has come. And that when we open our eyes to that, it gives us new eyes. Have any of you uh, grabbed a, have you ever grabbed like your family photos from growing up and just flipped through and seen all the pictures from vacations or family experiences or maybe a college? Do any of y'all do that? What do they call that when you make the books? Scrapbooking? Yeah, that's, that's a good name for it, scrapbook. And, uh, you know, you put all kinds of lace and stuff. Some of you are really good at that. You put captions, you know, that are funny above the pictures. But whenever you look through those, uh, if you're in a lot of those pictures, where does your eye go? To yourself. To yourself. Why? <laughs> Nick, I love that because I love me. Is that what you said? <laughs> no, you said because we love ourselves. You know, it's really true that 
what we treasure our eyes immediately gravitate to. Imagine for a moment that what I treasure gravity or my treasure changes to where my eyes what becomes clear for me what becomes singular focus is different than me so yes amen so three things i want to say real quick and then we're going to come to the table about how do we journey in this now okay because we all have the capacity to be joe the air conditioner thief our hearts can be dark we can treasure the wrong things and we find ourselves walking across the yard with no concern whatsoever for the guy that we just stole from all right how do we realign our hearts? Wow, I love that. And align our hearts to the kingdom of God. Oh, I thought that was somebody's cell phone. I did, like some new Apple attachment. You know, it was just... Man, old technology such a pain, isn't it? So the first thing... The first thing that we need to know from this... Three quick things. The first thing is that Scripture is telling us to be st- treasure storers. This passage is saying your, your life should be about storing treasure. I love that. Like, you know what's better than treasure? More treasure. Isn't it? Like, it's just give me... Like, have any of you been uh, trick-or-treating when you were a kid? And in my neighborhood, it, we would take uh, pillowcases... Because they were the only thing that couldn't split because we'd come back with so much candy. And then we would get all our friends together and we'd get in a room and we would pour out our bags. You, you ever had this experience? If you didn't, just vicariously live through me right now, all right? And so, and we would draw a line around our, our candy because this is our turf. You do not cross my candy land without permission because this is my world. And then the bartering begins. Have you ever been a part of this? That you're like, okay, and you start trading for your favorite candy to get as big a pile as you can possibly assess of your favorite candy, right? What's your favorite candy? Twix, Skittles, what? Reese's, peanut butter cups, Jolly Ranchers, they last longer. Mm. That's it? Wow. Joel, we just need to stop right now and let everybody go trick-or-treating. The deprived community. You know... We always love to invite our friends into the circle that valued the stuff that we hate. Like those that log candy. Have you ever seen that? It's like a hard candy, but it's shaped like a log. Or like the family thought it'd be cute to give like popcorn balls out. There's always a kid that, yeah, okay, sorry. You know, you got traded a lot, all right? There's always one kid in the group that loved those things. And the rest of us are like, yeah, give me your Snickers and I'll give you my popcorn ball. Why am I joking about that? Because what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 and what we're discovering in Acts chapter 4 is a very honest truth. Is that I can follow your money trail and find what you value. Just true. If I watched what you did with possessions, if I watched how you manage your possessions... If I watched how you view money and deal with money, it would not take me long to figure out what your true treasure is. You know, we have to be careful when we deal with money. Because Scripture has a lot to say about money. But we even sometimes play games with God. 
And we say to God, look, the way I'm going to deal with money is I'm going to give you your share, and then I'm going to keep the rest for me. Because I know the rules when it comes to church. God, you get 10%, I get the rest. And as long as I give you 10%, right, and that's painful because I'm giving you 10%, then I'm going to give that to you, and that means that I really value your kingdom, but then I get to go and spend 90% on my life. Now we get into a little trouble with that. You know, when we start beating the drum of tithe, tithe, you know, that we all need to tithe. Are you a tithing church? Are you a tithing Christian? You know, because what do you mean when you say the word tithe? You know, when we study the Old Testament, there were actually three tithes. There weren't one. There was, oh, this is, this is painful. There was the tithe to the Levites, 10%. There was the tithe to the temple to fund the great festivals that the temple hosted every year. 10%. And then there was the tithe of the poor, where the temple actually cared for the poor. Guess how much that was? This is class participation. So, 10, 10, 10. Actually, the Old Testament tithe to the temple was more like 30%, not 10%. So when we talk about tithe, which of those three are we talking about? Wow. We should just close right here, shouldn't we? Here is the good news. When it comes to money, when it comes to tithe, when it comes to the reality of where we step into storing treasures, listen to Romans chapter 8. For what the law was powerless to do, and what is the law powerless to do? The law can point out where I'm wrong, but the law can't fix me. The law can point out where I need to change, but it has no power to change me. It's no different than if you came in here with hiccups this morning and I said, we got a law here at 12 South. No hiccuping. Well, since we got a law, I'm going to stop hiccuping. That law may tell you what is wrong and where you're wrong, but it has no power to take away the hiccups, right? So what the law was powerless to do, which was to change us and make us right with God, no matter if we tied the 100%, we weren't going to be made right with God by obeying the law. And that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Christ set us free from the law. We are now a new creation in Christ. His record is now my record. We have a right standing with God, not because of anything we do or anything we're going to do or anything we did. We have a right standing with God because of what Christ did. And when he was on the cross and he declared, it is finished, it means that everything that needed to be done to put me in right standing with God was done. It is through. Now I can step into right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. All of my sins have been thrown as far as the east is from the west. And get this. This is just crazy. Why did God do that for me? Because he treasures me. I am his treasure. I am the one that he talks about when he says the the farmer went out in the field and he found a treasure and he buried it up and he went and sold everything he had so he could come back and buy the field so that he could possess the treasure. Or the fisherman that found the pearl of great price and he went and sold everything he had so he could come back and buy the pearl. It was Christ who sold everything. I'm the pearl. I'm the treasure. I'm the one that he says, you are the apple of my eye. You are my heart's affection. It was Christ who sold everything to make me his treasure. Okay. 
Imagine opening your eyes to that truth. Listen to this. This is in Romans as well. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, what its treasures are. Joe, the air-conditioned guy. All right? But those who live according to the Spirit, those that have been transformed, those that have become the treasure of God, have their mind or their eyes set on what the Spirit desires or what the Spirit treasures. Now my treasures become the treasures of the kingdom, that have eyes to see the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is coming by force. And what is the kingdom of God doing when it comes by force? It is declaring that I'm accepted. It's declaring that I'm forgiven. It's declaring that I'm loved. It's declaring that I'm guarded. It's declaring that I'm guided. It's declaring that I'm not alone. It's declaring that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Second Corinthians 8. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We are treasures. And we'll get back to that in just a second. The second thing is, he is shaping our hearts. Christ cares about our hearts. What do I mean by that? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's saying, it's not money that is the tragedy here. It's the love of money. It's what's going on inside my heart that can lead me astray. In other words, and this is powerful, when I look at my life and I am a poor lover of people, the call isn't to become a better lover. The call is for me to better understand how much I'm loved. That's the gospel way. When I'm a poor forgiver, when I have a really hard time forgiving people in my life, it's not the journey of, well, just get your act together and go and forgive somebody. It's that I've forgotten the depth in which I have been forgiven. And Christ, who treasures me, is calling me to treasure Him and step into the journey of seeing the grandness of His forgiveness that He's given to me. And if I'm a poor giver, guess what? It's because I've lost sight of what's been given to me. If I'm not giving, if I'm not generous, it's because I have a very small view of my position with Christ. I see myself as a pauper. I don't see the wealth and the riches that he's given me everything I need for life and godliness. Rather, I see my own limited resources and it causes me to treasure different things. See, when we've been given the Holy Spirit, we've been given a new heart. And the Holy Spirit is in that heart. And that Holy Spirit gives us a great capacity to love. Listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, No eye is seen, nor ear is heard, no mind is conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. So it's clear. Eye hasn't seen it. Ear hasn't heard it. Mind can't conceive it. What God has prepared for you. But, and this is one of those glorious big butts of Scripture. You can take that any way you want. But, God has revealed it to us by His Holy Spirit. What has He revealed? that you would see, that you would hear, and that you would understand what He has given you and prepared you for. 
And later it says He's given us His Holy Spirit so that we may know all that He's given us. So this, I'm treasured, and therefore I treasure. He's after my heart, therefore I know I'm loved, and I can love. And then action. And here's the final action. This is that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer moment. You know, did any of y'all ever, well, you sure have seen it. You know, when I was growing up, you could only see Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer once a year. Now you can get it on DVD, and there's reruns. It's really not fair, you know. But we would treasure it. But you know that scene in Rudolph where, you know, his mother covers his nose with mud. How dare her clone his, or cover his identity. You know, what kind of mother is that? You know, and he's talking all funny. You know, and they're out there for the reindeer games, and they're seeing how far they can jump. Are you with me? Have you seen it? You know? And, you know, he's falling. He's not, you know, he's kicking the dirt and all that. And then the the moment happens that the little fawn comes up. And does she kiss him? No. What does she say? Oh, that's right. Wow, you know it better than I do. I haven't seen it in so long. And then what happens when he goes, she thinks I'm cute. She likes me. He flies. He soars. I mean, the mud cannot contain the glory of that nose. It pops off and he's like, you know, he's through the sky. All right. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) What I believe about myself, what I believe about my world, and what I believe about my God. When we walk in the truth of those three things, the truth of those three things, we soar. We are loved. We're in a world where God said, I'll never leave you and I'll forsake you. And he is sovereign. And he is bringing a redemptive story of his kingdom right here. Those three things are true. And he is calling us into that. Right? So like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, we soar. We are like Joe the air conditioner thief. We've got to turn around, people. And we've got to go back and stick that air conditioner back in the window and say, wait a minute, these things are too big for me not to align my heart to. I can't keep turning my heart black and dark. I've got to turn the light on so that I can shine that light into my soul and understand the truth of God and live my life out of that, right? Listen to this, and then we're going to come to the table. This is Jesus' words to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid. Why is he saying that? Because if you're afraid, you've already started treasuring the wrong things. Alright? So he's saying, do not be afraid, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. The family album, our eyes aren't going to us anymore. He's saying, look at the father, look at the kingdom. Singular focus, father, kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, we're not bound by tithe anymore. Are you kidding me? That is the smaller story. The bigger story is Christ, the hope of glory, lives in us. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith. In what area? Every area of my life. And what does he have? Everything he has. Wow. 
That's a crazy journey. Because for some of you this morning, it may be as radical for you to say, I'm going to now align my view of myself and how I look at myself in the mirror with what God says about me. Now, I'm going to look at what I'm giving my energies to every day in light of who God says he is. That may be as radical for you as Joe, the air-conditioned thief, going back and saying, no, I'm going to pay for seminary. Seems like such a silly illustration, doesn't it? Until it starts fleshing itself out and Jesus says, sell everything you have. So, here's my question for you. What's your treasure? What's your treasure?